Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It's Maddie and Ethan for, you know it, another episode of the Vine to Mind podcast. And on this episode of the podcast, Maddie and I are talking about one of our favorite grape varieties. That is Albarino. We hope you enjoy. All right, Ethan, we're back. It's been a while since we've been in the studio. It has been. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Life got a little crazy there. I think just beginning of the summertime and just trying to get caught up on everything. But we're back and we're ready to go. Today's going to be fun. We're going to talk about a really crispy, fun white wine, our white grape that is Albarino. That's true. So, Maddie, uh, what's been going on? I mean, I'm going to pretend I haven't seen you. That's true. Every day in the last few weeks, but I've seen you. But yeah. I want to know what's going on in your life. So I guess, see, that's what's currently trending right now. Right now, um, okay, so we just had Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So summer is essentially here, right? It's not, what is it, like June 21st, I think is like the official start date of summer. Mm -hmm. But um, for, you know, my purpose, it's summer. And you know what? I am back on the seltzer game. Really? I went off. I was on like a hiatus for since last summer, essentially. I think I had a few too many then, um, and I wasn't really feeling it. But I think the sun's out. It's getting a little warmer out. And I'm I'm back. I tried a new one this past weekend. I tried the Topos, Topo Chico. If you guys haven't had those, would recommend. Um, but I also I kind of had to go back to one of my favorites. I always have some stocked in the fridge, and of course that's Del Mar. It's the wine based seltzer. Yeah, I mean it's okay. The cans look so beautiful mm-hmm. as well. So they look great in a photo. But um, super light, refreshing, and the best thing about the seltzers, I guess, kind of how like the reason I've been in, into them lately, just they're easy. You can take them camping. You know, they go on a cooler. You can go on a hike and just, you know, like reward yourself when you get to the top of the mountain and have one ready to go in the back. Um, Honestly, if I carried wine, that actually might be a better workout too because it's like a full (laughs) bottle. But uh, I go for the cans, I guess. But um, I don't know. You had any seltzers lately? Um, You know, I never really got into them, but I am a big fan of Topo Chico sparkling water. Uh, so I should try those out, but yeah, Del Mar is in my fridge every once in a while. If I have um, a couple buddies over and we're just hanging out on the back patio, we'll totally open some of them. They're just so refreshing. Again, they kind of promote this like easier lifestyle. They're not sweets, mm-hmm. but they have a little bit of sugar on them. So they, yeah. so they taste good and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Super refreshing, especially when it's getting so hot out and we're allowed to actually go outside and be with people and do things again. Yeah. I can't think of anything better. But what I've been doing, oh gosh, in the last few weeks, I've been really getting into my air fryer. I think I should get a TV <laughs> show on the on the Food Network about Ethan and his air fryer. Ethan and the air fryer. <laughs> uh, but a lot of like, you know, I do like fried zucchini. Ooh. Oh, you know, I haven't tried that so with mine good. yet. I do that. And I know this is going to sound really geeky, but I always try to open a Gruner Veltliner with it. Have some kind of like fried green vegetable i've done green beans too <laughs> you gotta but, have that that cooking yeah, wine like a nice camp tall gruner i get a little white pepper character to that sure yeah, and they're plus they're a little bit cheaper you know i'm trying to ball on a budget here and i do a pretty good job yeah my wine drinking with that no for sure i'll have to give that a go i feel like you've inspired me to use my air fryer more so you totally should it's so convenient i haven't used my oven in like six months <laughs> Yeah, why would you? No, no offense any ovens or any <laughs> oven lovers out there. But you got a lot of offense to that right now. 
It's a lot more convenient. Oh, goodness. So there's a little life update from Maddie and Ethan. Maddie's drinking seltzers again and Ethan's air frying. So there you have it. (laughs) Should we start talking about some Albarino now? I think we should get into it. Let's do it. So I think um, Albarino is a grape that I think I can speak for both of us that we've really grown to love over the last few years. Albarino is a testable grape when you are studying for various certifications. And so I think I was really exposed to it when I was studying for my first tasting portion of one of my exams. And um, it's really great, but I will say it has a, such a huge diversity of styles as well. So we're going to get into that, but it's fresh, it's crispy. It's, um, you know, it's very aromatic. It goes with so many different foods. Yeah. And it's definitely one of those great varieties, Maddie, that could be kind of hard to decipher when you are blind tasting. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of these, uh, geeky Psalms like to say the holy trinity of grapes when blind tasting. And that refers to really three neutral grape varieties that tend to have kind of similar characteristics to them. Mm-hmm. One, of course, is going to be Aparino. We're talking about that today. But Pinot Grigio and Gruner Veltner as well in certain styles can be similar to Aparino. I'm not upset with myself if, you know, every once in a while I call a Aparino a Gruner Veltner or vice versa. Um, but they're hard. It really depends on which one you're having and where it's from. But... All of them are good wines, but my favorite of the three really is going to be Albarino. Yeah, I think you and me both can agree there. And if it is an Albarino that you're being tested on, um, chances are um, it's going to be coming from Ria Spicious. So Ria Spicious is in Galicia, uh, in Spain. So it's going to be the northwest corner of Spain. They refer to this as Green Spain. Um, and we're going to talk about this region here a little bit more. This is really like kind of the, the home of Albarino these days. Mm-hmm. And there's been some controversy as to where Albarino first originated, where this grape actually came from. Um, and there's a few different stories, so it's kind of fun to go back and, uh, and look at those. Yeah, there's really two beliefs of where Albarino originated from, and uh, people typically like to disagree with each other depending on which one they favor. So, of course, the first one has to—I mean, always, this kind of goes with every grape that's ended up anywhere— Somehow the monks are involved. I wish I was a monk back in those days. All you got to do is play around with grapes and make wine all day long and then eat a bunch of amazing food that you also raised yourself. I have quite the the vision in my mind right now of you as a monk back in the day. I'm telling you, Betty, one day I'm going to end up in the Loire Valley and in Quonset and I'm going to have my own goat farm, make my own goat cheese and grow my own Sauvignon Blanc. That's my dream. I wouldn't be surprised if you ended up as a monk trying to make chartreuse too. I think we've talked about this before. We definitely have. We definitely have. It's definitely a dream of mine. Let's see what happens. I'd love to live in France. I don't know why. Um, Anyway, let's go back to the monks in Albarino. So um, the first belief really had to do with the monks from a village that was right outside of Burgundy. And we all know Burgundy is famous for Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and you also find Aligote grown there as well because they traveled throughout Europe during this day. Uh, They actually... They believe the, to bring this Albarino grape to this part of northwestern Spain and to northern Portugal. Now, you go out there, and one, it's a beautiful area. It's kind of windy. It's close to the ocean. But there's a lot of beautiful monasteries there. So they, they kind of believe that is where Albarino originated from, being brought over from a village outside of Burgundy. However, there's another belief because of really the name and the style of the wine that they believe that German monks actually brought the grape from Alsace as they were making basically their version of the missions across Europe. And they brought their grape, which they believed was a clone of Riesling, to this part of the Iberian Peninsula and planted it. And they believe the name Alba Reno 
translate to white wine of Rhine, so the Rhine River, mm-hmm. which of course flows a little bit through Germany and a little bit through France. So there are you know closer ties or maybe more of an influence of that kind of story being true. However, today, through DNA evidence, we've actually found that this grape is indigenous to this part of the world. It's from Galicia, which is, of course, northwestern Spain, or from northern Portugal. And the reason I keep saying this is because they really don't know where exactly it came from. And these areas are basically the same climate, same terroirs, and they grow the same styles of grapes and make the same kinds of wine. So I'm going to say that a lot today. Yeah, no, for sure. There's definitely some kind of like fluidity between the northern northwest part of Spain, Green Spain, and um, the northern part of Portugal, for sure. But um, but yeah, for the most part, we're going to think of Albarino as really finding its home in this part of the world. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about Rias Baixas. I think that we, when talking about Albarino, we definitely need to spend a little bit of time on Rias Baixas. Rias Baixas, um, again, this is in northwest Spain. And this area here really experiences that maritime climate. And because of that, most of the grapes that they're going to produce are white grapes. In fact, 99% of all the wine produced in Rio Spicious is white wine. So pretty significant there. Um, and then over 90, 90% of the plantings in Rio Spicious are to Albarino. So Albarino is very prevalent all throughout this area. Um, it really pairs great with like the local seafood of the area oh, yeah. too. Some octopus. I actually... I uh, went to the coast. I went out to Point Reyes uh, just about a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. I brought a bottle of the Terrascada Orosal Albarino, which actually is a unique one because it has a little bit of Caño Blanco blended in exactly. as well. But um, brought that out to the coast. We stopped at Hog Island, picked up some oysters, and it was absolutely wonderful. That sounds amazing. And actually, it's funny you say that because Caño Blanco and another grape that you see grown in this area, especially in Portugal, is a Lorejo. Those are the only two grapes that they have any kind of like genetic similarities to Alperino. So that's kind of cool. And you yeah, know, that Oversol blend is actually like technically a historic type blend because prior to 1986, when Rio Spices became a DO, like a, a delineated like region of producing wines in Spain, most Albarinos were blended with these grapes mm. and other grapes from this area. You find like a lot of Godello in there and Arinto in there as well. After 1986, you really didn't see a lot of these blends. So it's kind of, that's a cool wine you brought. You had oysters with it? Oh, absolutely. We're shucking them right there. It was amazing. And a beautiful day too. Um, but one other thing too, if you're talking about the history of Rio Spicious, you know, Spain has been through a lot. As with most wine regions, they've had ups and downs. And we talked about phylloxera many times on the pod, but Phylloxera struck Spain in the 1800s. And when it did so, of course, they had to do a, you know, rip out a lot of vines and replant. And that was the first time they started planting an abundance of Albarino. So before, prior to that, it was various different other Spanish grapes, but that was when Albarino really started taking off. And then in the 1900s, it hit the marketplace pretty hard. And then I'm sure after, you know, Rio Spice just became a DO, sales just went up from there. It's actually pretty cool that you mentioned that because Spain and most of Spain was hit pretty hard by phylloxera. Mm-hmm. However, in the Galicia, especially Rio Spicious, some of these areas are, some of these vineyards are so close to the ocean that some of these vineyards are actually planted on sandy dominant soils. So Rio Spicious, believe it or not, has some of the oldest recorded vines in the world. There are some vineyards here, Maddie, that they believe are over 300 years old. 
That's amazing. Isn't that ridiculous? That is amazing. And here in Napa, sometimes people will say old vine if it's, you know, 20 to 30 years <laughs> old. So <laughs> puts that's it wild. into perspective a little there. Absolutely. And so um, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I would love to go to this part of the world. It looks absolutely beautiful because it is it is green Spain because they do have that maritime influence and everything is green. It's lush. It's beautiful. And, um, you know, if we go just south of the Spanish border, we're in Portugal and we have to talk about Vino Verde a little bit. You kind of mentioned that. Um, but uh, here, the, it's not Albarino, it's Alvarino. I do not speak Portuguese, but I think I said that one correctly. Um, but here, typically, it's going to be a blend, a blend of Trixadora, Loreo, and Alvarino. And these wines, they're light. They are fresh. They're low in alcohol, typically like 8.5% alcohol or so, which is actually really refreshing sometimes. Um, you know, especially these days, a lot of people, a lot of millennials are looking for that lower alcohol beverage. I think we've said this before on the pod, yeah. but this is great. If you just want a nice glass of wine, you know, late afternoon and you don't really want to get too much of a buzz, try some Vino Verde. And really, people started seeing the success of Albarino in this part of the world and that has this maritime influence. And they thought, okay, it grows great here, but it has to grow pretty well in other parts of the world too. So we started seeing more plantings of Albarino pop up, you know, in other regions too, like even here in the U.S. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know San Luis Obispo is growing a lot. Mm -hmm. You'll find like some in Santa Ynez Valley. Napa has some. Yeah, I think that in Carneros. There's Santa a little Carneros, bit. You'll find that in Sonoma too. Uh, anywhere that's got a maritime influence, a little bit cooler. Albarino grows very well. You'll even find some in Oregon or Washington. Maddie, there's even some planted in Maryland and Virginia from my home states. Have you had some? Uh, I have not, but you know I'm going to look for it when I go home next. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Well, Ethan, you know that we just had one from Lodi. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Which is a different climate, too, because it's a little bit warmer there, too. It is. It yeah. is. But you know, there's actually some people that are thinking that it might grow really well in the UK. And unfortunately, you know, climate change is a pretty bad thing, but there are silver linings to it, as mm -hmm. in a lot of people are actually planting grapes for sparkling wine production. If you can grow sparkling wine grapes, you can grow grapes that also do well in cool climates. So it only makes sense to grow Albarino. But you're finding in New Zealand as well. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Uh, a story with Australian producers. Oh, for, yes. For like over a decade, they were making Albarino and labeling as Albarino in Australia. And someone did some DNA research on it and found out that it's actually the Sauvignon grape from, uh, if you all remember our previous podcast, when we talked about uh, the Vinjon that we got blinded on, it's based off of Sauvignon. Uh, so yeah, they were actually mislabeling their Albarinos. And I think actually, time. yeah, a lot of them still continue to say Albarino and it was all Sauvignon. So That's so crazy. <laughs> I can only imagine how upset some of those winemakers were. Absolutely. So I think now that's like the, you know, the main regions that you're starting to see Albarino yeah. grown around the world. But let's talk about the actual grape itself and some of the characteristics. So of course, Albarino is a white grape um, or green grape, you can say. Um, but it has these, these thick skins, which gives it this high phenol content. And a lot of times actually during fermentation, they'll actually leave the skins in contact with the must, with yeah. the grape juice for a few hours or so to really enhance um, this, you know, this phenolic or floral aromatics that you wouldn't get otherwise. And the, the resulting wine, it's not really bitter, but sometimes mm -hmm. it could be a little bit on the tannic side, which you don't see a lot of for like white wines. Now, not nearly as tannic as like a Cabernet Sauvignon or sure. even like a, it's even lighter than a Pinot, but there is a little character to it. Um, but the grape itself it's prized for growing well 
in humid environments and undesirable climates, really. You know, a place like, you know, the Green Spain and Rios Baixas. I mean, it's cool, it's wet, it's a lot of influence from the ocean that we talked about. But this grape, it just grows well. And the best part, and why Madison and I love it so much, is because it retains its crisp acidity. Mm-hmm. But the issue is sometimes it's acceptable to downy and powdery mildew. A lot of grapes are. They have new ways of kind of fighting that. Yeah, and a lot of that starts out in the vineyard too. And a lot of that's with the type of trellising that is going to be used. And so the idea with the trellising for a grape like this that's susceptible to rot or mildew is that you want airflow, right? Because you don't want all this moisture buildup. That was our issue, Ethan, when you and I tried making wine with that vineyard we found off Craigslist. It's because these vines were not taken care of. It was Chenin Blanc and there was not great airflow in the vines. And oh my goodness, there was so much downy mildew. My parents never taught me to not buy grapes off of Craigslist. They, you know so, what? Mine didn't either. So, so know, listen here, parents. Tell your kids not to buy grapes <laughs> off of Craigslist. Hey, it makes for a good story now, though. It does. Um, but regardless, yes, yeah, so they want to make sure there's good airflow in the vines. And in fact, in Portugal, so where Vino Verde is produced, they actually would have these pergolas, essentially, mm-hmm. where the grapevines would grow up and have the clusters of grapes just, you know, be trained to grow underneath. And they also encouraged overcropping, actually. And with this, too, that means that there's not quite as much complexity in each grape. There's probably a little bit more water content. And that's the reason why traditionally Vino Verde was so low in alcohol. They didn't realize that at the time, but um, now it's become a tradition. And now that's really pretty much a hallmark of Vino Verde is to be lower in alcohol. So they still continue this tradition there. But and elsewhere, it's going to be pretty much just trained on a trellis. And it grows very well. Yeah. It's a pretty durable grapevine. So I think we should also mention what you're looking for when you have a glass of Albarino in front of you. And so if you just got those tiny green grapes that Albarino will produce and you ferment it in a stainless steel tank, what are you looking for in that glass? And really, you know, the funny thing about Albarino, it retains a very odd, like clear color. Like even if you do a little skin contact, it it doesn't have a lot of pigmentation in the grape skin. So it does, it's still, it's pretty clear, like real pale straw. Sometimes it can have some like green undertones to it. But when you're looking for in the nose, you're going to get some ripe citrus and stone fruit. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking like Meyer lemon, lime skin, and white peaches are really the characteristics that you find. And, you know, it depends on, you know, the vintage, the producer, or even where it's grown. But it could be a floral wine, but not overly floral. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that you and I have talked about so many times with Albarino is that there is a huge range, and a lot of this has to do with the winemaker, maybe where what vineyards are sourcing the grapes from, and then their techniques in the winery. Like maybe they do have a little bit more pre-fermentation skin contact, and that's why we have some Albarinos that are incredibly floral. Yeah. But sometimes they're super lean and they're citrus-driven too. And that lean character too also comes from probably the lack of lees contact, which is also typically pretty prevalent exactly. in this area. No, so the best part about it, though, they're medium body wines, mm-hmm. not too light, not too heavy. They're medium alcohol wines, the best part. But what we love about it, they're always high acid. They Even are. the one we have from Lodi. Lodi is a hot area. We talked about it in one of our uh, previous episodes. Still retain a lot of acidity. Most producers will produce their wines in sort of that neutral environment. You're going to find stainless steel, maybe even some concrete or neutral or used barrels. Not a lot of new oak to kind of prevent malolactic fermentation for the first for the most part to really retain that fresh characteristics of the grape themselves. So you see that in like the Abadia de San Campio Albarino. It's floral, it's fresh, it's juicy, it's acidic. 
over Saul. It's got a little bit more body. I think it has a little bit more leaves, but also has those blending partners. And then you'll see like a producer like Zarte, one of the most famous producers there. For some of their wines, they'll use some new oak. They'll use some malolactic fermentation. And you'll see how that Albarino will start to evolve and become more like a white burgundy in a mm-hmm. way. Albarino is a versatile grape. It's a durable grape. It grows well. And it's a delicious wine. Absolutely. I mean, I love in the wines that are coming out of Spain, uh, the Albarinos that are, but I'm excited to see these other regions really take precedent and really see how this grape can adapt to that specific region too. Can't wait to try that Maryland Albarino. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You need to get some next time you go home. So keep in mind, folks, on August 1st, it's National Albarino Day. So make sure you get yourself a bottle or three of Albarino and enjoy it on August 1st. Luckily, hopefully, wherever you are, it's most likely going to be really hot. And uh, it'll be nice to have a crisp, white, refreshing wine to have outside while you're having a, you know, some barbecue in the backyard. Barbecue. Maybe we can, like, you know, get some seafood, some shellfish. Oh, yeah. Some caviar. Ooh. I don't have that every day. I mean, hey, shoot. So should we talk about our nightcap? Let's do the nightcap. This is actually one that uh, Ethan blinded me on this morning. Yeah, it was fun. So, so it wasn't so nightcappy, I guess. <laughs> yes, it was a morning cap yes. that we're not going to talk about for our nightcap. Yeah, so we all know Chardonnay. Chardonnay is one of or maybe the most well-known great varieties in the world. You can go Chardonnay basically anywhere. You'll find it anywhere. It's so recognizable. It's on every wine list in the mm-hmm. world. It's on every bottle shop in the world. Um, but um, some cool examples come out of different places. You know, you typically think of like Burgundy, whether it's that Cote d'Or or a Chablis from the United States, whether it's Sonoma or Napa, you can find someone like Central Coast. But I actually blinded Madison on a Margaret River from Western Australia, Chardonnay, and it was beautiful. It really was. I do not drink very many wines from Australia, let alone the Margaret River Chardonnays, but it is a, you know, it is a testable wine. And so it was, I'm super happy that you brought it in this morning. And the first thing I smelled when I stuck my nose in it was reduction. It kind of had that little bit of that sulfury smell to it. And there was a tiny bit of spritziness when you poured it in. So I was thinking it could, you know, leading towards like a screw cap style of wine. But the more that I smelled it, you know, it was it was pretty aromatic, I thought. It definitely had that citrus fruit. You had a touch of stone fruit, but it had that pomacious kind of like bruised apple quality as well. And the thing that it took me a little while to pick up on was um, there's a touch of that mallow. Um, not It wasn't, I don't think it went through full malolactic fermentation, no. but it had a little bit of that cream to it. Um, it wasn't a lot of oak character, which come to find out it was neutral oak. So I guess that's where that comes from. So um, definitely was a Chardonnay, but the great thing about it was that acidity too the acid was a lot sharper than most chardonnays right i would compare that to the one that we had today it's kind of like a reductive chablis in a way yeah i mean it had that character a lot riper a lot more floral a lot more stone fruit to it but um still had a lot of that chardonnay character Mm -hmm. uh, that acid is definitely something you'd want some food with and when I say reduction too, I don't want that to mean like a negative connotation. Yeah. I think it just adds like another layer. It's like another layer of complexity. Of course, if all you smell is like, you know, burnt match or rotten egg, okay, like that's to the extreme. That's bad. But this is just has a little bit of that, which means that there was a little bit lack of, there was some lack of oxygen throughout the winemaking process. So folks, that is our nightcap. And that does conclude today's episode on one of Maddie and I's favorite grapes, Albarino. We're glad to be back. We're happy to have you here. Go out and find a bottle of Albarino and enjoy it. And if you find one from Maryland or Virginia, please send it my way. Cheers. Cheers.